0: Thank you, Brother Adam, and thank you, congregation, for that wonderful song service. If you have your Bibles and you would, turn with me to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2, a little small book, an epistle of Paul, written to his son in the faith, Titus. If you get to Hebrews, turn back to your left toward the Old Testament, Philemon, then Titus, Titus chapter 2. As you're finding your places, let me share just a short story with you There are so many times that we believe that grace is the same and i too believe that god's grace is sufficient that we are saved by grace through faith it's not of yourselves it's not of works lest any man should boast i believe that saving grace is all the same No one is going to get to heaven and say, look how I got here. Look what I did. We're all going to get to heaven and we're going to say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did on my behalf. I am not worthy to be here, but because of your stripes, I am healed. Because you bore my sins on Calvary. But not only is, do I believe that grace, God's saving grace, is the same for all. I do also believe that there is a grace that is continually teaching us. And that grace is there. It is empowered in us through the Holy Spirit. So we can't just say, I get saved and that's all there is to life. When I get saved, well, I'm saved from hell. That's good enough for me. That's not good enough, dear friend. That's not what the Bible teaches. So one time there was a group of men. There was uh, a group of men that called themselves fishermen. And these fishermen, they knew that there were fish in all the waters around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Just think about where we live in here in Henderson County. We've got Red Bud, Penn Oak, Dogwood, Cedar, Browns Creek, Piney, Sycamore. We've got Beach Lake. We've got so many lakes around us. Even if you don't like to fish in the lake, you can go to the Tennessee River and fish in the river. But these fishermen, this group of men, they knew that there were fish everywhere, yet week after week month after month year after year these who called themselves fishermen they met in meetings they had councils they talked about their call to fish the abundance of fish and how they might go about fishing how do we do this year after year they carefully defined what fishing means in so much that they defended fishing it was their occupation and declared that fishing is going to always be a primary task for fishermen. One day, as they continually searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definition of fishing, they furtherly said that fishing is an industry that exists by fishing as fire exists by burning. They love slogans. I like slogans, don't you? For instance, the Army had a slogan one time that says, Be all that you can be in the Army. Nike had a slogan, just do it. Frosted Flakes has a slogan, they're great. We remember these things because slogans are catchy. And so fishermen developed a slogan such as fishing is the task of every fisherman. They sponsored special meetings called fishermen's campaigns and the month for fishermen to fish. If there's one problem, none of these guys had ever been fishing. They talked about fishing, but they never went. They even assembled a board together to meet. In other places where there were many fish. And this board hired staff that would bring together those who were so-called fishermen. But after one stirring meeting one day, on the necessity of fishing, one young fellow left the meeting and went fishing. The next day he reported that he had caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled it to all the big meetings that they were having about fishing. Everybody wanted to know. Everybody wanted to hear about it. But the work got so much that he quit fishing in order to have time to tell everybody else how to fish. He was also placed on the fisherman's general board as a person having considerable experience. Now, it is true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of the dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who have made fun of their fishermen's club and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen, yet never fished. They wondered about those who felt it, was of little use to attend the weekly meetings or to talk about fishing. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't go fishing are really not fishermen. Imagine the offended society and the baby attitude society when somebody says, well, if you don't go fishing, you're not a fisherman. Who has the audacity? No matter how much they claim to be, yet it did sound correct, is... A person, really a a fisherman, if they never fish. Well, it's a good question, isn't it? How can we speak about the grace of God if we have never experienced the grace of God? We can talk about God's gift. We can talk about... Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We can talk about saving grace in one aspect, but ladies and gentlemen, there's much more to grace than just being saved. And as you enter into a season of revival beginning next Sunday morning, I want to encourage you today that you would take God's word this week, if never before, and that you would allow the grace of God to train you. What is revival? Dr. Todd Brady described revival as. It is not a series of meetings by in which we have great singing. We have a visiting preacher. It's not how high you jump, how yell loud you how loud you speak, nor how good you sing. Revival happens in the heart of God's people when there is a transformation in the life of God's people. So, yes. I do believe that it is by faith through grace that I am saved. I also believe that the grace of God that saved me is the same grace of God that keeps me saved. But I believe that through life, as we talk about grace, there is saving grace, but then there is also sanctifying grace that moves us from here to there. It's not a rapid progress. It's almost like putting something in a crock pot. You know, I'd much rather have white beans out of a crock pot than I had a microwave, hadn't you? I'd rather have a pot roast with potatoes and carrots and onions from a crock pot rather than throwing it in the microwave and expecting something to happen in 1.3 minutes. We should also understand that grace is a process. God does not have microwavable Christianity. God's grace is a process in which it places us in a crock pot. And in that crock pot, there is the grace that not only is sufficient for us, but it is God's grace that is training us to be more like Jesus. So what I mean by this? Well, that was the introduction. But in chapter 2 of Titus, we have here Paul writing, and he gives us the qualities of a sound church. I think that we should all read that as a, as a body of believers. We should all understand what the qualities of a sound church is. A sound church is one that follows after and pursues Jesus Christ, although everybody else says it's not going to work. This is bookended by qualifications for elders and their task. What should they do? On the other side, we are bookended by graces of heirs of grace and avoiding dissensions. The last place there ought to be an argument is in God's house. I'm not going to argue the Bible the Bible speaks for itself I'm just God's messenger I'm not going to argue about what God said because God is never wrong but there's one thing that we should understand in this book end that in the middle in chapter 2 We find things that are good and profitable to all men, and we have substance that matters how we are being trained by God's saving grace. So in chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, Paul says this to Titus. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. I want you to understand that the word all means everybody. Not a select few. Not neglecting some. But the word all in God's word is all. All is everybody. From the homeless to the billionaires. All means all. From the one that is hungry to the one that is full. From the one that is naked to the one that is clothed. God's word means all. And the word says that salvation has appeared to all men. Does that mean that it has been uh, received by all men? That's not what it means. All men's not going to be saved. Some are going to reject But God provided salvation for everyone, amen? And in that provision, the salvation that has appeared is teaching us something. Notice in verse 12, it is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. What does this grace also teach us? It is teaching us to look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. What else is the grace teaching us? Not only that He gave Himself for us, that He may redeem redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous of good works. What else does the grace of God teach us? It teaches us to speak these things. Don't, Don't just talk about it. Notice what else He says in verse 15. These things speak. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Why did he add that at the end? Because Titus was a young minister. He was Paul's son, true son in the common faith, according to verse four of chapter one. So I'm just I'm I'm old school. What does it say? What does it mean? How do I apply it? It's sort of like taking an onion. And it's peeling it back one layer at a time. What does God's Word say? Well, he says that God, that, the, that my grace brings salvation. It has appeared to all men. When did God's grace appear to all men? Well, let's just step back in time if we could. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus Christ is the visual image of an invisible God. That all things were created by Him and for Him and without Him nothing was created. Let's step back a little bit further if we would. That even before the world was created, the grace of God was already prepared to be shed upon you and I. For before the world was formed, Jesus Christ was the lamb that was already slain before anything was created. Jesus Christ knew humanity was going to sin, and he knew that he was going to die on a Roman cross before anything was created. Brother Mike, explain that to me. I can't, but I believe it. I believe it by faith I accept that Jesus Christ knew me before anything else was made. By faith I believe that He knew He was going to die. Yet He loved me anyway in spite of who I am. By faith I believe that He didn't just save me by His grace. But His grace is continually training me. Athletes if you would. How do they get to be better? By attending training. By practicing. By competing. So are you telling us to compete? No, we're not in competition with other churches. I'm not here to compete with Dr. Richard. I'm not here to compete against the evangelist of next week. I'm just here to tell you what God's Word said. Let the axe fall against the tree and let the tree land wherever it may. God's grace brought salvation through Mary. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary for the thing that is conceived in her as God spoke to Joseph is conceived of the Holy Spirit it's not anything man done God's grace brought Jesus not into the Taj Mahal nor into Jackson Madison County Hospital but in a cave laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the end he didn't have a nice little onesie to put on whenever he was born. He wasn't wrapped up in a nice baby blanket and had a little toboggan placed up on his head. He was wrapped in grave clothes and laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. And we know that Jesus was human. He bled. We know he had feelings. He wept at Lazarus' tomb. We know that he was compassionate because it says that he healed many of their infirmities, of their sicknesses, of their diseases. We know that he was friendly because it says that he was a friend of sinners. But what do we know about his grace? His grace came down and it hung on Calvary's cross. Until it was finished. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Are you saying that I don't deserve grace? That's exactly what I'm saying. We don't deserve grace. It is unmerited favor that God shows upon us. So, as we dive into God's Word, as we see that God's grace has appeared to all men, that it has brought salvation, let's notice what else God's grace is doing. God's grace teaches us. Now, I was not what you would call a model student in school, I'm probably not even what you would call a good student in school but i made it i made it so fast david phillips that i found out i was getting to graduate the morning that we were practicing the graduation march when they walked down to the old ag shop and there i sat in my truck twiddling my thumbs thinking am i going to get to make this today or is it going to be at a later time And a lady walked down and she said, Congratulations, Micah, you get to graduate with everybody else. And I said, I don't even want to know how close it was. She said, well, let me just tell you, you scraped by by the hair of your chinny chin chin. I said, that's good enough for me. And some of us think that we're just going to scrape by hell and get into heaven by the hair of our chinny chin chin. That's not right that's not right because what's what God's grace begins God's grace accomplishes it's a complete work so this thing that we're talking about grace teaching us we need to understand that this is a process yes I'm saved am I completely perfect no do I sin yes Do I want to sin? No. Does it bother me when I do? Yes. How how does all this work? Because God's grace is teaching me. What's He teaching me to do? Deny ungodliness and worldly lust. What is ungodliness? It's anything that is against God. It does not bring Him honor. It does not bring Him glory. It does not bring you peace. It may bring satisfaction for a minute, but it's not going to bring you peace. It's also teaching us not only to deny the things which are against God, ungodliness, but teaches us to deny worldly lust. You know, it just seemed like our world over the past five years, I can't imagine what it's going to be like in five more if we continue to go at the rapid pace in which we have plunged ourselves in the depth of despair and sin. I can't imagine what it's going to be like for my youngest daughter who is 13 or even my future grandchildren. Don't have any right now. Not planning on any right now, but I plan on having some more these days. But it, I don't know what it's going to be like then. So it is us as we progress that we have to progress in God's grace. And in doing so, as we are being trained, ladies and gentlemen, it's our job to train others. Oh, now wait a minute. Now we're talking about my salvation. No, I'm not talking about your salvation. You don't have salvation. God has salvation. Well, explain that to me. Okay, Psalms chapter 51. David didn't say, restore to me the joy of my salvation, God, that I acquired. David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation, that I may teach transgressors their ways. Notice we see that as God is teaching us something, he's not only teaching us what not to do, but he's teaching us how to live. How do we live? Soberly, righteously, and godly. When? Not in the world that is to come, but notice what it says here on the screen. In the present age. Do you know how hard it is to live godly today? I do. Do you know what I deal with? I do. But I also know that I have a friend. A friend that is a friend of sinners. And the Bible teaches me that Jesus Christ was tempted in every way as I am and as you are. Yet he is without sin. I do know that, yes, Jesus knows what you're facing. And I do know that what Jesus has commanded us to do is that we are to live soberly and righteously and godly today. The world needs to see real Christians, Christ followers, not who talk about going to church, but who are the church. See, you know this above anybody. You can tear the building down. The church still exists. Blow it away. Burn it. Let lightning strike it. Let the wiring cause the problem. Whatever it may be, the building can go, but the church will remain. Because the church is not a building, it is people. People that make up the family and the body of Christ, and we are being taught by God's grace. Secondly, the grace of God gives us hope. The grace of God gives us hope. Verse 13, he tells us, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you here today have Seemed like that you look at life and you just, boy, I'm telling you what, things don't look good. You know, yesterday was not one of my grandest days. I got up at three o'clock, I went to work. I worked, I come home around lunchtime, I was crawling under my dump truck and I head budded the rear end housing on my dump truck, and as soon as I head budded, I knew it was bad. Throwed my hand on my head and I run to the house. And I. Mama said, what's wrong? I said, I busted my head. She said, how bad is it? I said, I'm afraid to look. And she said, let me see it. And I pulled my hat off and I already had blood on my hand. And I knew that it was not really going to be good. She said, what am I going to do? I said, wipe it off. Grab some of that new skin. It's medical super glue for y'all that ain't never tried it. I said, start smearing it on there, and whenever it quits bleeding or I quit hollering, you stop. And so she began to apply the medicine. The blood stopped. I went back and I finished that task, only to fall off the side of the bed of my dump truck. (laughs) Now, as I was looking at this, I'm thinking, this is hopeless. And I go in the house last night and I'm hurting pretty bad, and I think, this is useless. Why am I doing this? And don't you sometimes feel like that's how life is? And all of a sudden, you get brought back to reality and your shift of your focus. You catch a glimpse of hope, and that hope is Jesus. Why am I doing what I'm doing? I'm doing it because of him. Why do we do what we do? Not why do we headbutt dump truck rear ends. That was an accident. Why do we fall off the side of dump trucks? I don't know. That was an accident. But there's one thing in life that I can promise you will never be an accident. Keeping your focus on Jesus Keeping the hope that God gives us. What hope do I have here? Well, I'm just a pilgrim. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, I'm just passing through. I'm looking for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The hope that I have is not, oh, I hope I don't hurt myself again, because that's going to happen. The hope that I have is if I hurt myself bad enough and I don't make it in this life, I know where I'm going. It's the hope that of the assurance that grace has taught me that even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, there's nothing to fear, for God is with me. Through the fire, through the flood, God gives us hope. But then there's another aspect. I'm getting close to being done here in about the next 30 minutes. God's grace is purifying us. Can I ask you a personal question? Are you the same person that you were the day you got saved? Are you the same person that you were the day you got saved? Well, the Bible tells us that God is not only redeeming us in verse 14 from every lawless deed, but He is also purifying for Himself a special people. And that special people, they are zealous for good works. What does that word zealous mean? I like to think that that word zealous, it is propelling us, it is motivating us, it is moving us, it is pushing us to do more good for God. The grace of God purifies us. The Bible teaches us that when Jesus Christ comes, He is coming back for a bride that is holy, that is spotless, that is without blemish. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us as God's people to stop accepting sin and to call it what it is. You know, I've had people say, well, Brother Michael, we just need to welcome everybody to church. Hey, you to tell you who needs to be in church. It's not the religious elite. It's the prostitute. It's the beggar. It's the one that's homeless. It's the drug addict. It's the drunk. It's the homosexual. It's the glutton. It's the liar. It's the thief. It's the murderer. It's the adulterer. It's the rapist. Those are the ones who need to be here that we have shut the doors on, ladies and gentlemen. And we want people... To come to Christ when we don't even welcome them in our meetings. Oh, we want to have a revival. Oh, I'm gonna tell you how to have a revival. You go out and find the least of these, and you compel them to come to Him. You want a revival? Stop by allowing God to teach you something start by allowing God to purify you father forgive me for I am a sinful man as the tax collector did have mercy upon me for I am a sinful man God I need a revival Purify my heart, cleanse my mind, purify my hands, cleanse my thoughts. Father, purify my feet, lead me where you would have me go. God, purify my mouth, speak through me as your messenger and as your vessel that I may teach transgressors your ways. God, purify. Purify me so that I am your representative. I am a reflection of who you are. That I may love more. That I may show more grace. That I may have more mercy. That I may love deeper and compassionately. That I may see people like you do. And Lord God in the end that I may point them to you. Purify me. God's going to bring salvation. God's going to bring a teaching. If God's going to teach us, God's going to give us hope. If God's going to give us hope, He's going to purify us because He's not coming back after a spotted, blemished, sickly little bride. His bride's going to be pure and blameless. Lastly, the grace of God is encouraging us. These things speak, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Exhort means to tell of, to speak of, to recommend and to warn. But then there's also the word meaning a a verb of the word that means to turn forward, to propel. That means that when God's Word speaks and it encourages us, it propels us, that means we've got to act upon it. We've got to do something with it because God's Word can't propel if our feet are unwilling to move. That means on Sunday morning, whether I'm preaching, Dr. Richard's preaching, Brother Chris is preaching, Dr. Stan's preaching, or an evangelist is here preaching, it don't matter who's bringing the message, if God's word speaks and propels you to move, you need to get up and respond. You need to act upon what God is propelling you to do, what He wants you to turn forward, to urge forward. The message of exhortation according to the Illustrated Bible Dictionary is designed to motivate persons to action. That means we can have meeting about fishing. But until we go fishing, it ain't doing much good. We can have a Sunday school lesson that talks about evangelism. But if nobody's going out to evangelize, then what good is it? That means that we can talk about saving grace. And we can teach about what God's grace is doing in us. But until we apply it and we go out and we live it, how God is transforming us and giving us hope and cleaning us up. There are some things that I used to do that I don't do anymore. Anybody else with me? And there are some things that I still do that I look back after I did it and I say, boy, ain't you stupid? Grace is doing something. Grace. Is encouraging me. You can be more. You can be more. We can talk about having revival. But, ladies and gentlemen, revival is not a series of meetings. Revival happens. In the hearts, in the lives. Of God's people who choose to want God doing something radical in their life. Revival begins today. Revival begins in you today. Will you allow the grace of God to teach you? Would you do something even more radical? Would you allow the grace of God to purify you? Notice that He has moved from salvation to through sanctification. And now, guys, we're into God is purifying us. He's moving our lives. He's doing something great. He wants us to be clean. And in doing so, There's nowhere else that is more encouraging to a child of God than to be right where God wants him to be. There's no other place that is any more encouraging to the people of God than being right where God wants him to be. So how are we going to respond to this this morning? Dear friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, salvation's already been offered. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in your heart, That God had raised Jesus from the dead and confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For he is Lord unto all that call upon him. Salvation is provided. Brother Mike, I've done too much for God to love me. No, you have not. For God so loved the world that in spite of who you are, how reckless you've been, how stupid you've been, how childish you've acted, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall be saved. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him Shall be saved. Salvation is come. Jesus Christ knew you before you was born. He knows you now, and he is still loving you in spite of who you are. But now let's turn this over to the saved people. What's God's grace doing in your life? What's God's grace doing in your life? I'll admit I don't read the Bible like I should. I think we could all admit that this morning. I don't read it like I should. And I know that I should. I know that I should dig deep, not just read long. God's grace teaches me through His Word something about my life every day. Well, if you don't read the Bible like you should, how do you know it teaches you every day? Well, if I didn't read it today and something happened tomorrow and I picked up God's Word and read it, it was a Word that I needed yesterday. But it's a Word that is relevant for today. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Brother Mike, I'm saved. But I'm not acting like that. I need a revival. Then I'm going to ask you in a moment that you move from where you are to a place we call this an altar but do we really know what an altar is? It's a place of dying. It's a place of giving yourself over to God. That means that John 3 verse 30 where he says I must decrease I must die so that he may increase so that his life may be lived through me I don't think that we really truly accept everything that the altar means we come running up here and we pray And we lay them down, and then we get up, and we carry them right back with us. You know, it's kind of like dragging an army duffel bag, Brother David. We drag our junk in. We sat here. We're miserable while the preacher's preaching because the preacher is speaking to us. And we bring our problems, and we lay them at God's feet. And then when we get up, we say, never mind, God. I've got this. And we drag it right back. God, my life ain't what it needs to be, but thank God it ain't what it used to be. Well, what about being what God wanted you to be? Allow God's grace to do something in you. And when we give an invitation, if you're lost, you need to be saved. And don't you wait till Brother Adam gets to the podium. Don't you wait till Miss Debbie gets to the piano. You get up when we start to give an invitation and you come to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus wants to save you Now. But if you're saved and you're not living out a Christian life, don't you wait till the musician starts. Don't you wait. You want a revival to happen. It ain't going to start next Sunday. It starts right now. It starts in your heart and in your life, on your knees before an almighty God saying, God, here I am, send me. God, here I am. Let your grace do something in me. Purify my heart. Cleanse my mind. Clean my hands. Free me so that I may be your vessel. So that I may teach people. And Lord God, in doing so, encourage me to be more like your son, Jesus. Lord, in doing so, help us to be a lighthouse and a beacon of hope in a community that is dark. Lord, here I am. So we're going to stand together right now. And if God's moved on your heart, you come. Father, right now.